Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rotman Podcast, powered by the Entertainment and Media Association at the Rotman School of Management. Our guest today is a second-year full-time MBA student from the class of 2020, Sam Kocher. In this episode, Sam shares with us his experience growing up in India, moving around from place to place as a child, and some of the challenges that came along with that. We then go on to talk about some of his learnings from having to integrate into different cultures in three different countries, where Sam talks about developing the skill of cultural flexibility, before we go on to get his views on diversity and inclusion, and his perspective on an ideal organisational culture in the light of DNI. Sam gets into some personal and sensitive issues in this episode, and we really appreciate him sharing these experiences with us. Sam also mentioned that if anyone hears this episode and wants to reach out for someone to talk to, they should connect with him on LinkedIn at Sam Kocher. K-O-C-H-H-A-R. Now, without further ado, I have the pleasure of sharing with you our interview with Sam Kocher. Hello, hello. It's Joe here, and I'm here with Rini. Hi, everyone. And also Sam Kocher. Hi, Sam. Hi, everybody. Hi, Rini. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for having me on today. It's a pleasure. The pleasure's all ours. I think we'll jump right in here and I'll just say, Sam, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a second year student at the Rothman School of Management in the full-time MBA program. I, just going back into my background a little bit, I grew up in India and uh, my dad's job was such that it required us to travel a lot. So I got a lot of exposure traveling to different cities in India and uh one thing that I learned while I was doing that was that, you know, India is such a diverse country. Every state has its own language, culture. So that kind of exposed me at an early age into, you know, just appreciating differences a little bit more and uh, learning to adapt myself to new places and new cultures pretty quickly. So that was my background in India growing up. I was always the student who was good at school, but then... Uh, not super social, like kept to myself a little bit and uh, more on the introverted side. And then I moved away to the United States when I was 18 uh, to pursue my undergrad in uh, chemical engineering at University of Minnesota. It was a big change all the way to the other side of the world, uh, but I was excited about the new opportunity that I was going to have learning and being in the United States. And it was a little bit challenging when I first moved because uh, I had never been to the country before. I mm-hmm. had just met people, looked at things online. I was like, great, like, let's do this and it'll be a great opportunity. But then first thing I struggled with was like the cold because yeah. uh, Minnesota, if someone's been there, they might be able to relate to this. It's one of the coldest places in the country. And uh, where I lived in India before, the coldest it ever got was like two degrees Celsius. Wow. Uh, so jumping from that to minus 22 being the average in January uh, was a big adjustment, but, you know, powered through. And uh, yeah, after that, I ended up working in healthcare technology for a little bit uh, in another neighboring state of Minnesota called Wisconsin. For those who are not familiar with the US ge- geography, it's close to Chicago. And that's mm-hmm. how I like to explain that now. And yeah, got some good experience in management there and then decided I wanted to continue to take my career forward in uh, more of the management direction and uh, move to Toronto for my MBA. Yeah. It's uh, really funny you say that because I had a similar experience. I also moved to the US at 18. Yeah. And I moved to Pittsburgh and the weather was great when it first started. It got to November. Yeah. And then it just never got warm again. It was exactly the same snow up to here. 
and freezing cold weather minus 22 all the way up until like april yeah uh, so it's a complete not as much of a change for me coming from the uk but I, yeah yeah I have a very very similar yeah. experience for sure no totally understand that yeah i guess maybe it's not a big difference weather wise for you mm-hmm. joe but i'm sure for both of you it's been quite a cultural journey to be in three different countries with completely different right. cultural identities which sometimes a lot of people don't really understand but even canada and us can mm-hmm. you know we have very different cultures here right yeah. so what would you say that was like for you sam and joe like feel mm-hmm. free to jump in and share yeah, your experience sure. as well Yeah, no, that's a great question, Rini. I think one thing that teaches you, and Joe, feel free to agree with me on this, is when you move at such an early age and you're learning to adapt, and I think, Rini, that applies to you as well, right? Because right. you moved from India mm-hmm. uh, when you were in your teenage, uh, something called culture flex. And culture flex is this thing where, you know, little things like when you, not just traveling for a vacation, but when you live in a new country, new culture, new place, you have to figure out things like how do you get your meal delivered? How do you go to the hospital? How do you pay your bills? And uh, oftentimes, you know, we live in a globalized society. The systems are similar, but uh, there's also these little differences that sometimes make you feel like you're living in an alternate universe. You were doing right. things the one way and it was working out, but all of a sudden, uh, now you have to file a reimbursement form for healthcare, which mm-hmm. you never had to do that before. Uh, so this teaches you a lot of things. Specifically, I feel like the most important takeaway is learning to appreciate the differences and getting over them and also understanding kind of where they're coming from and because every place and city and country you go to they've all had different histories so you can't mm-hmm. expect that it's going to be exactly the same and it this is a good takeaway for your professional life as well because when you work with teams that have people from all over the world especially in Canada we have such a diverse culture here it helps you understand uh, the little nuances and differences you see in meetings for example and uh, helps you get along with people a little bit better Mm-hmm. So would you both agree with that a little bit, the cult- idea of cultural flex and how that's played out for you? Yeah, I think uh, I would agree in the sense that yeah. there's so many different things, even in our day-to-day lives, that yeah. are done differently in different countries. And it sort of made me think about what I wanted my own personal culture to be like and really, mm-hmm. you know, pick out the best of everything and integrate it into my own way of living. So I think yeah. that's the beauty of being exposed to two or three different cultures. It's such yeah. an early stage of your right. life too. And, you know, you're sort of moving from being a young adult to becoming a full-fledged adult and, you know, really experiencing life in, a, in all its reality. So I would say that was my experience, you know, moving away. I grew up in Mumbai and then I moved mm-hmm. to Montreal and then I moved here to Toronto. Even Montreal, Toronto, the mm-hmm. culture... is so different right yeah so yeah i think i have a little bit of everything and you know hopefully i'll move to another place soon and right just integrate that into my life what do you think joe yeah i couldn't agree more i think the flexibility and adaptability is a skill that has to be cultivated yeah. and it doesn't happen until you actually are out of your comfort zone yeah. and you are learning those things the cultural flex like you say mm-hmm. is figuring out these things on the fly but then also learning that you are going to be okay you can make it Mm-hmm. you can make it work you can find these things out it gives you a little bit of more self-confidence that yeah. you, you can really go through difficult times or be in a different place and learn to handle yourself yeah i think that's really important yeah. couldn't i put that better myself so my advice we haven't gotten to that part yet but you know just a key, key takeaway from this for everyone that's listening you know if you're in that position in your life where you're thinking you know i've always lived in this one place one city one country but i've always wanted to go explore this other place and uh, you know there's something inside you that's holding you back just just take the leap 
If you're in your early 20s, the perfect time. Even if it's a little bit later in life, it's perfectly fine. Go ahead, take the leap. You will learn great things out of that experience. And a year or two down the line, you'll have the same situation like we've got going on where, you know, when someone asks Rini and I the question, where's mm-hmm. home? Yeah. Uh, we both think that's a very loaded question now. And, uh, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, just great like, to have that under your belt. So. Do we really want to yeah. get into this whole long story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, great, great advice there. And since making that great leap over yep. here, you have been a champion of diversity and inclusion, especially here at the Rotman School. And you in particular, I've noticed, have been instrumental in driving some great initiatives through the Graduate Business Council, the GBC. We're curious to know, so though, what does DNI mean to you? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Joe, because people get confused about what it exactly is. So I'm just going to shed a little bit of light on some official definitions and what it personally means mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so D and I, it's not D and I, not the letter N, because I right. hear that a lot. Right. Uh, D and I, it's D and I, and it is an acronym for diversity and inclusion. And uh, diversity just refers to, you know, it's a pretty much a literal translation from the English word diversity, just a diversity of backgrounds, experiences, uh, cultures, ethnicities, and thought. The more you have, the better is the idea behind it. And inclusion is a little bit of a tricky concept. It means typically different things to different people. But to me, what inclusion is this feeling and this creation of an environment where everyone feels comfortable to be themselves and they feel safe to bring their whole self every day to wherever they're going, whether it's a job, whether it's school, and there are things as leaders and uh, managers that we can do, and even as students uh, in executive positions where we can create that culture that will lead to this inclusion mindset being the common theme and you know makes people that are coming from diverse backgrounds feel comfortable and safe. So that is the inclusion side of it. Mm-hmm. So the nuance is in, if you wanted to just wrap it up in one sentence, it would be inclusion is the strategy and diversity is an outcome of that strategy. Very good. And so how do you take that personally to mean? Um, is there any anything specific that you could give us an example for? Yeah, no, for sure. So, you know, I think it goes back a little bit to my experiences as well growing up. So I did mention that I grew up in India. One thing that I didn't mention, it wasn't all bright and rosy. I, in middle school, had to go through some experiences with regards to bullying. I was called out for being different, not fitting into the traditional male stereotype, called out for my hair, the clothes that I was wearing. And uh, it was really tough for me to overcome that at that age. There weren't very many resources around as well. So I kind of had that as part of my development cycle where I felt that growing up was, okay, maybe I have to be different. Maybe I'm not good enough. I have to change something about myself to be able to feel welcome. And uh, so, yeah, so that was just growing up and I kind of moved along with it. I didn't get help mostly because I didn't know that I this was not the right thing. And I wanted to just kind of go away from that a little bit. So that was another part of the reason why I moved to the U.S. because I just wanted to start completely new and figure out maybe there's a better place for me in this new culture. So in the U.S., things were so much better on that personal front. But then uh, in my first job, I remember I experienced some discrimination on the fact that I was an immigrant. I didn't have the right kind of work authorization that they were looking for. And Mm -hmm. there were some very messy conversations that happened with the head of HR. And in the end, I ended up staying because the law was on my side. But it was just a very 
kind of a traumatic experience to go through in your first job. You don't even know if you're going to be there a week later and you're just trying to like fight for yourself. So again, you know, like these experiences kind of defined my vision of myself. And I would say that I didn't really seek help until a very late age in my life. But when I did, I realized that this is not right. No one has to go through that. There are things in the world that will tell you that you're not okay for who you are and elements that will kind of force you to be a different person if you have to fit in. But what I will say is that after going through these experiences myself, I learned to be more okay with my own identity and uh, accepting myself for who I was. I wanted to bring that in further into making sure that I was able to leave a positive impact on other people's lives. And that's where it comes into the role that I'm playing at Rotman School of Management. When I moved here, I saw that there was a position where I could be working on creating a culture and leaving impact on the school that will help some other people in uh, understanding that it is okay to be different. Mm. You bring a lot of value when you're different. There are some real outcomes that can be achieved when you have teams working together with different perspectives. And uh, so that's where the inclusion work that I'm doing comes in. And a lot of that strategy, which I can get into a little bit later, is aimed at making sure that people are understanding about, firstly, what the different perspectives are that exist in the school and different cultures, different ways of expressing themselves and learning to have a skill set that helps them work in a way that it is okay for anybody who's coming into that team to be different and they are able to all work together to create create better outcomes. Mm. And Sam, yeah. I just have a quick question there as yeah. well. You said that when you were in the US, you didn't yeah. feel like you could reach out for help. Yes. Um, and that caused you to not do that. And mm-hmm. so if there is someone maybe in a similar position yeah. and now you are creating these types of resources and the initiatives right. that you are now to provide that help, right? is there any advice you could give someone maybe that's in a position like that? There is a lot of help out there. So no matter where you are right now, if you're looking for help and you're feeling something's not right, you want to get uh, to a better spot, just do a quick Google search. Look for maybe mental health resources in whichever city you're living in. And uh, if you don't think you can pay for it, there's a lot of free resources as well. So you can add that keyword. That would be the first step to start and then actually follow through. Because again, you know, I totally understand having gone through the situation myself that it is hard, but that's something that you owe to yourself, to your loved ones, to your friends and family. And you have to be able to get out of that and take that first step. And once you're in it, that's 80% of the work done. You just have to be consistent and you will find a lot of value that is added to your life by seeking professional help for situations like that. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. So I want to go back to your the work that you're doing yeah. at Rotman, mm-hmm. um, you know, with regards to diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Like you said, you know, being different is tough and yeah. having a conversation about that is even tougher because there's so much resistance around, yeah. right? And we're all so different. Right. What would you say has been your biggest challenge in, you know, implementing some of these initiatives? And right. if you could also talk about, you know, some of the initiatives that you've been working on. For sure. The way we have started working on it is last year we did something where we did DNI events separately and uh, there was just a separate inclusion focus event maybe that talked about LGBTQ plus people and uh, not that people don't want to learn about that it's just that it was done at a bad timing there were other conflicts career related conflicts academic conflicts and uh, it just didn't work out because 
there were obviously other priorities, which is totally understandable. But what we tried this year, just learning from the lessons that didn't work last year, was we decided to go first. So when the first years came in, we shifted our strategy. Instead of having multiple events across the year, we blocked off a whole week in the month of September, mm-hmm. which is the time when they're just settling in. You know, there's not a lot of case comps going on or career stuff going on at that time. It was still hard because they had some tests, but, you know, there weren't as many conflicts. So we saw significantly higher attendance this year. So of the 10 events that we did in that week, uh, we had about 300 people that attended, which is about 25% of the total student population in the school across all programs. So that was a big accomplishment uh, for us compared to last year, where across all the events, it was just maybe 40 people that attended. So that was one thing that worked. The other thing that really we're trying to push along is we're trying to meet people where they are. So what I mean by that is we're not trying to now pull them separately into a DNI event. Every single one of the events that we did this year was in a partnership with another student club. I see. So what that means is that we pulled in clubs like the Technology Association, the Finance Association, you know, several other career-focused slash cultural student clubs that students are already going to affiliate with and uh, had them do inclusion and diversity-related events in this week. And what that helped us with was, again, bringing in the traffic. First of all, people were there because they were affiliated with the club. They wanted to learn about this new thing. But secondly, also adds diversity in the content that we're offering. Because going back to my original point about inclusion being something that you understand not just one type of people, but all different kinds of identities and cultures that exist within the group. Uh, So through that diversity of events, we wanted to address cultural things. We talked about you know, women representation in finance and technology. We had a movie screening night to capture someone who was just looking to have a chill night after a long day and watch a movie about uh, LGBTQ inclusion in Taiwan. And uh, so through the different kinds of events that we offered, I think we captured a lot of people. And the most successful one that we did was something called the Inclusion Design Sprint, where we pulled in a bunch of first-year students, just gave them an open-ended problem. How do we make Rockman more inclusive? And some of the stuff that came out of it was actually low-hanging fruit and, you know, something that we could definitely work on and get implemented in the school without a lot of effort and really drive some good outcomes there. Brilliant. Yeah, I saw some of the outcomes and the results from that diversity inclusion sprint and I must say, yeah, some really creative ideas and also some things that can be implemented straight away. And probably should be as well. So hopefully those are built into the future. Yes. And so moving away from Rotman and mm-hmm. academic experience into more of a work style mm-hmm. experience in the times that you've had with work in organization, what yeah. are some of the areas that organizations still need to work on to create more diverse and inclusive work cultures? Right. Joe, I think there's three main things that I would say that organizations should still work on. The first and the most important one is realize that diversity and inclusion is not just an HR thing. Oftentimes I hear that, and I think a lot of organizations have awakened to the fact that it's more than just an HR thing because of research that has been done by some leading consulting firms and uh, some stats like inclusive organizations drive more than twice as much cash flows than organizations that don't focus on inclusion as a core strategy. 67% of talent wants to work at organizations that are more diverse than not. So because of these things, organizations are waking up, but I would say that if you're an organization that is still thinking about DNI but hasn't taken any active steps on it, make sure that you're bringing this to your next executive meeting, 
talking about it as a core strategy because that's really the way to go in the diverse and globalized world that we live in. Uh, there's only improved outcomes that can be achieved through diversity. And uh, if you're not, you're really going to be left behind. The second thing I would say is avoid something called tokenization. Oftentimes, you know, when we realize that, okay, we have to have a certain number of women positions, the board of directors, for example, uh, it is easy to fall into the trap of just checking boxes there. What you need to do is, again, going back to the first point that I said is recognizing that there is a need and true value that can be provided and creating a fair playing ground, so to speak, for practices that can be employed at all levels in the organization that naturally give everybody, no matter what their background is, gender identity, cultural background, a fair chance at moving up the ladder uh, so that you don't find yourself in a situation where you think that you don't have enough capable candidates from a certain section, but if you just start at the bottom, make sure that people are following practices such as resume blinding and you know, leaving out demographic information from hiring decisions, etc., that will help you create a culture from the bottom up that is more blind to physical factors, but more focused on things that should really matter in terms of mm-hmm. talent promotion. And the third one is an easy win that I think every organization do is something called unconscious bias training. It is a two to four hour workshop, depends on how you design it, can be a repetitive session as well, but where staff goes in and is just kind of confronted with situations where some of the biases that we kind of absorb as human beings from our bringing uh, just kind of come to surface. So for example, one that I recently did, they ask us a question, imagine that you're on a plane sitting with a basketball player, and then they ask the audience to describe what does that player look like. And we got a lot of, you know, very traditional responses, like a tall person, like masculine, super buff. And then they showed us the picture of who this basketball player actually was. And it was a woman on a wheelchair, and it was from the Special Olympics basketball game. So that kind of, you know, shocks you right out of that mindset that we have these stereotypes that exist in us. It's nobody's fault. It's just cultural conditioning. But the fact when you realize that these stereotypes exist you learn to control them. And when you find yourself in a situation where the stereotype is coming up, you learn to manage it. So that's where really where unconscious bias training gets in and trains you to do that. And there's another element of it where you have some self-unconscious bias training because some psychologists would argue that biases only exist because we have a bias about ourselves. So that's another version of it. And there is an expert that we have in the building, Maya. She does a lot of work on it. And she's done a few sessions for the students as well on it. So if anyone listening is looking to come to Rotman, there's a lot to do here beyond just academics. All right, quick fire round. Mm-hmm. Rene, you can start us off. Are you ready, Sam? Yes, I am ready. Okay, Go for then. it, Rene. Your favorite event ever attended at Rotman? I would say I've had a couple. So events that are done by Wine Society and Culinary Club have been my favorite. Cheers um, to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. cheers to that. Especially want to call out a version of Hot Ones that we had done by Colony Club at Rotman, where all of us just tried progressively hotter hot wings <laughs> until we got to one of the hottest peppers in the world, and uh, we survived that. Joe, you were there too, right? Uh, yeah, very painful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in that manner, I would talk about food. Favorite place to grab lunch on campus? There is a restaurant called Buttery that is right behind Rotman. It is not very popular, so you get a quiet spot to just sit and... Uh, 
work and also get some cheap, delicious food. And they have new specials every day. It's in a building called Trinity College. If anyone wants to go check it out, definitely highly recommend it. Well, okay. it won't be quiet any longer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it won't be, yes. If not working at Butter Eat, um, mm-hmm. what would you pick? Fishbowl or Atrium or another spot on Rotman? My favorite spot in the building to get some work done is the fifth floor library. If you have been there... The view is amazing. The view is amazing. Yeah. It's kind of distracting, so maybe I shouldn't be working there <laughs> as much as I should. But it is great. Yeah, the view is great, and it's a quiet place, so again, you get some good work done there. Best bar within a 15-minute walk of Rotman. L Furniture Warehouse. It is a bar on Bloor. I looked it up. It's 13 minutes, so right under your limit there. <laughs> and it's got cheap food solid drinks and a good time so go check it out (laughs) okay favorite and least favorite first year class so it's interesting my favorite classes have always been the classes where i just love the professors and their teaching style so i had no background in business related stuff when i came in coming from a technology background but my favorite class ended up being finance one and microeconomics because mike simuton and Will Strange Strange are just great professors. Mm -hmm. And uh, least favorite was operations. It was just a struggle bus. (laughs) Don't go any further with that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that one for sure. One underrated or underutilized aspect of U U of T. U of T has Heart House, which we pay for in our tuition, so make good use of it. It has a really great pool. That's my personal favorite part is salt water. Uh, so your skin doesn't get damaged either from chlorine. And then Robman, we have something that we do every Thursday called Robman Mindful Moments. It is a short meditation session, kind of just helps you take mind off of the school stress. And uh, I highly recommend it. It's very relaxing. Yeah, and it's also very needed this time of the year. Yes, for sure. One bad piece of advice you often hear? That you have to network a lot. <laughs> <laughs> When you first come in, you often hear people say, if you're not doing a coffee chat or two every other day, you're probably not going to get a job. That is not true. Let me tell you that. If you're finding yourself struggling to manage everything, pick the coffee chats and networking that you're actually interested in. You don't have to go through every session. There's a lot of time to figure things out after this MBA program. You don't have to get all the answers right away. So just take it easy. Quality over quantity. Yeah, quality over quantity for sure. One piece of advice for first years or prospective students. For first years, I would say there's nothing more important than your well-being. Everything else can wait, just kind of going along the lines of my previous comment there. You would find yourself in a lot of situations, which I'm sure as second years we've all been through as well, where you're kind of being tested on your physical and mental limits in this program. (laughs) Uh, But make sure that you're taking the time off for yourself and for your well-being. That is the most important for prospective students, I would say don't let anything hold you back from applying. Don't have that self-doubt about, am I good enough? You know, let the application process be the judge of that. So if you want to come to Robman, you know, take some time to reflect on what's unique about you, what's special, because everyone has something. Make sure to highlight that in your application and then hope for the best. Your favorite quote? So my f- favorite quote, I had to do a little bit of thinking of that one, Rini, but I think I'll go with the key to impact is to put purpose before process. And it was said by a professor we have at Rotman, Numan Ashraf. He's a big advocate for diversity and inclusion in the school. And also, I highly recommend taking any one of his classes. He's got a very interactive approach. And he gives you really good leadership advice that sticks. 
Um, so put purpose before process and everything else will work out. Great. All right, Sam, this has been very, very inspirational and also illuminating. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your experiences. I sure have learned a lot about diversity yeah. and inclusion. Do yeah. you have any closing comments or words of well-wishing? Yeah, no, good luck to everyone that's listening to this, whether you're a prospective student or current student at Rotman. You know, just be who you are, power through what you're doing every day, and, uh, you know, it, it will all work out in the end. That would be my closing advice to everybody. So thank you so much, Joe and Rini, for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rotman Podcast Student Life Edition. Make sure to check back for a new episode every other Sunday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And follow us on EMA underscore Rotman on Instagram for updates on upcoming episodes and guests and behind the scenes shots. Also, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to give us feedback, please email us at ema at rotman.uteronto.ca. Thank you for listening.